Hello friends and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your supervisors and managers, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Boss. In this 13-month program, I'll be taking your managers through our driving results curriculum, and that includes topics on communication, performance management, motivation, delegation, problem solving, decision making, team development, and much more. The sessions are virtual running one hour each month, and I'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoint, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can either have your entire organization take our program, or if you have just a few folks, join one of our open enrollment cohorts that start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. You know, the pandemic altered not only the way in which we work, but also the relationship we have with our coworkers. Now more than ever, both leaders and teams crave deeper connection and more authentic relationships. But how can organizations accomplish this lofty goal, particularly knowing that it'll require a reset of how leaders and teams interact? Well, that's the question we're gonna wrestle with today. My guests today are Seth Silver and Timothy Franz. They are the co-authors of Meaningful Partnership at Work, how the workplace covenant ensures mutual accountability and success between leaders and teams. Seth and Timothy are great guests. They're both experienced facilitators, consultants, professors. They did a lot of research in preparation for this book, and this is, as they will tell you, is their COVID project. It's based on great research, They've had great results with it and some very practical takeaways that you'll be able to use right after you listen to this. So I encourage you to listen, make sure you get a copy of the Meaningful Partnership at Workbook, and if you need to, reach out to these two guys. They were great guests. I know you'll enjoy it, so let's get ready to do it. Make sure that personal item's under the seat in front of you. Tell your neighbor to make sure they're putting their seatbelt on just like you. It's time for us to taxi to the runway and take off. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Seth Silver and Tim France, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm glad we could do this. We're going to spend some time talking today about the book that both of you recently authored. The book is entitled Meaningful Partnership at Work, How the Workplace Covenant Ensures Mutual Accountability and Success Between Leaders and Teams. And it seems like this is an appropriate book for the time that we're all living in right now, where the workplace is in a real state of flux, and there's a lot of discussion about whether it's going to be virtual, hybrid, back in person, and that doesn't even scratch the surface of all the other tensions that are going on right now. So it seems like this might be just the perfect book for the times that we're in, and I'd like to chat with both of you about the book and uh, some specifics, but before we do that, what I was hoping is that each of you could share something about your background with us. And I'd like to start with Seth and then sure. Tim, you can jump on in. Great. Well, I, I'm an organizational consultant. I, I have my doctorate in education, got that more than 20 years ago. 
And uh, although I have taught part-time as a graduate school professor uh, with human resource development students, uh, master's level stuff uh, at two different institutions, my, my main day job, as I like to call it, is consulting. And so I've been doing that for over 20 years and worked with hundreds of organizations, really in two areas, one on leadership and helping uh, managers understand that leadership is a verb, not a title. Um, and so that includes 360 and coaching and leadership training sessions, all that good stuff. And then also creating great workplaces, workplaces characterized by dignity, meaning, and community. Uh, I love those three words. I, I didn't coin them, but how do we create engaged workplaces, workplaces where people want to give 110% and feel like they're supported? And um, of course, those two areas, I think, overlap quite a bit. I think great workplaces create great leaders and great leaders create great workplaces. So that's me. Excellent. Excellent. Tim, how about yourself? Well, uh, Seth started talking about how he's a consultant who professes and <laughs> we work together well because I'm a professor who consults and uh, we've been working together for a long time on both teaching, consulting and research. And this book is really the culmination of about 20 years of working oh, together. Yeah. Um, so our uh, my specialty at St. John Fisher College is really team development. And I try to help teams to work better together. Well, whether it's this book that Seth and I have together or the other books that I have, the other research I've done, um, really improving teams and improving team leadership. Now, on top of that, I also I also do applied research, so focus groups, interviews, and surveys in the workplace. And really, um, I've been doing this consulting prior to professoring and professoring for a long time. So this is about 25 or 30 years for me. Wow. So there's quite a bit of background and experience that went into this. So you guys, how did this happen? Did you just decide one day, hey, let's go ahead and write a book together? How did this all come about? Uh, maybe I'll take that one. Uh, one word for you, Mac, COVID. <laughs> uh, really, no, no joke. Uh, we were both busy as, as anything. Uh, in 2019, Tim was doing his teaching and we were occasionally consulting together and we had finished some research and uh, my calendar was full and I assumed it would be in 2020 and and then kaboom in mid-March, uh, everything just shut down and all the spring and summer and fall commitments I had just wiped out. And uh, after about three weeks of wondering what was going to happen and, and, you know, being in the dark as we all were, I realized this is it. This is the universe giving me the chance I've always wanted. Every time I, I make a, a New Year's Day list of goals and things I want to do, writing the book was always near the top. But it never happened because life gets in the way and, you know, kids and and, and just other commitments. Um, and I realized now or never, uh, this is it. So uh, literally by April, um, you know, I started writing. Tim Tim joined and, and we collaborated and uh, we cranked that thing out through the summer and the fall. Uh, for me in particular, it was almost my day job. I mean, I got to my, my home desk and computer by 8, 830 every morning and put in at least half a day. Uh, you know, writing is not a continuous thing. It, it's in fits and spurts. Um, and we just worked on it together. Um, and it came about, I think, Tim, what, by November, we were we were done. Yeah, we were looking for publishers even before that. Uh, so, yes, this was, I, I love the way you always put it, Seth. It's the, It was your COVID vacation. Yes. So, uh, yes. Well, and, that's and pretty impressive, more, guys. I mean, some people brag on how many bottles of wine they could put away in a day. You guys wrote a book, uh, so well, that's pretty positive. Some of that, too, actually, truth be told. But, <laughs> <laughs> but we, we had, I mean, Tim and I had the, the thoughts in our head. We, we had talked about this. I mean, Tim and I are, you know, obviously close friends, and 
would have lunch once or twice a month anyway, in addition to everything else we were doing together. And we talked about the book and I would share covenant stories and you know, we would do sessions together where we were using the covenant as part of a, an intervention between two teams to bring them together and align them. So we had all this practical experience and real life case story stuff swimming in our head. Uh, I mentioned, you know, I, I taught, Tim has taught. So collectively, we've had hundreds of students, maybe over a thousand over the years. Certainly Tim has had over a thousand, many thousands. And, um, you know, they had reacted positively when we presented this in the classroom you know, here's a concept you can use back in the workplace. And they loved it. And they would ask us about it. And, you know, I think maybe 15 years ago, I wrote a short article for Training and Development magazine that was very well received. So every time we talked about it, every time we wrote a little bit about it, every time we did it, we were getting this feedback and we're told, you know, this is something you guys need to take to the next level. Uh, so I'll well, go ahead. Uh, and I might add, this is uh, we started talking about this, you and I, back in 2007, talking about the covenant. Yeah. You know, and I, I do give credit to Seth. He's brought me along for the ride. This is his idea, and I've helped, you know, with many ways on this. But it, it started off as his idea. And we started doing research, Seth. Actually, I looked back. 2014 yeah. is when we did our first research study. And then another one in 2016, which we've laid these studies out in the book. Uh, so you can see, actually, the research research on it. But yes, we've started, we started working on bits and pieces. Uh, I don't think we planned on the book until about 2018. And then really, like you said, uh, didn't get to actually, I think we had it outlined in 2019. Very loosely. Yeah, but, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, and, and definitely loosely, because we have, without a doubt, honed and improved and changed the concepts, improved them dramatically. Well, it really has by, been a process of evolution. It. Yeah. Yeah, we, we have learned so much by writing the book and now post facto talking about the book. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, just very quick, Mac, the, the origin story, as I like to call it in, in one minute or less. I mean, it goes back to my early days in Xerox in the 90s, and I used to do team building as part of what I did there as an organization development manager. And I'd meet with the manager, you know, before the day long or two day long team building. They used to do that stuff back then. And I'd say, how's it going with your team? And the manager always said, well, they're pretty good, but I wish. I, I wish they would solve problems. I wish they would be proactive. I wish they wouldn't uh, have side conversations in meetings. I wish, I wish, I wish. And uh, the manager clearly had expectations of the team that were not communicated. And then I'd meet with the team uh, without the manager and say, okay, you know, what are some of the strengths and weaknesses of the team? And what do you guys want to do with team building? And oh, by the way, how's the relationship with your manager? And they would always say, well, he or she is pretty good, but we wish. And and then would come their laundry list of, you know, we wish our boss gave us more recognition. We wish our boss wouldn't use mandatory overtime. We wish our boss gave us more professional development opportunities. And I it just occurred to me like a, you know, a two by four between the head that these these managers and teams had never talked about or shared what they needed from each other to feel supported and be successful. They just had never had that expectation exchange conversation. So early on, uh, back, you know, in those Xerox days in the late 90s, <coughs> excuse me, um, I would facilitate team building where they had that conversation. But that was just the beginning. You know, fast forward about eight years, Tim and I are working together. We're doing sessions with groups and we expanded it to include obligations. We expanded to include a review process. We expanded to include documentation. Um, so the, the whole process got more robust, uh, a little bit more detailed, and yet also user-friendly. Um, and it incorporated principles that Tim brought from team building and from team development. And uh, so it just got better over time.
So you guys ran a lot of these concepts by your graduate students. Now, were a lot of the students working professionals or did you have a, a mix that had just come out of their undergrad work? So I'm just curious their reactions, if they had actually seen the opposite in the workforce and then you had brought this new concept out. The the grad students that we had were working professionals. They had at least, and many far more, at least two years experience uh, to get into the program. So uh, the program was a part-time program. It was actually weekend college format. So it met every other weekend, every other Friday night and Saturday. Um, so it was designed around working adults. So these people had anywhere from two to 25 years experience. So absolutely, these were working professionals who were introduced to this topic years ago. And uh, on, a, on a side note, we just had a book signing and several of them showed up and yeah. talked about how excited they are to have this in writing too. So it was uh, fun to see them and hear that they're still doing it. And now they know how to do it better based on what we've laid out in the book. Yeah, it's, it's a very hands-on how-to. Uh, at least several several of the chapters are. Well, I'll tell you what, you guys have told me about the origins and how people are reacting. What we haven't talked about is what is the it? <laughs> so I'm curious about the words meaningful partnership, and I'm also curious about covenant. So, so how do those two relate? And then I'd like to get down into the specifics. So maybe I'll, I'll start, Tim, and then you, you jump in. So the book is actually about three things. Um, and the title changed quite a bit over time too, by the way. And we, we settled on meaningful partnership because that is the goal. That is what we hope and wish for all organizations and all partnerships in the workplace. We use the term meaningful. Um, we thought about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the late Supreme Court justice, and it was often written about her that she led a meaningful life. And that meant that it had impact. It went above and beyond. Uh, she left a legacy. Uh, there was a mission to it, if you will. And, and we like that connotation. And we believe that meaningful partnership is that elevated state of cohesion, connection, coordination, and collaboration. So it's not just garden variety working together. Hey, you and I have the same job. Let's work together. It's, it's the next level. It's the next step. It's an elevated state of connection, cohesion, coordination, collaboration. So that's the meaningful partnership aspect of it. The second part is the model that underpins it. And I think Tim will probably run with this in a minute, but we call it ERTAP, E-R-T-A-P, empathy, respect, trust, alignment, and partnership, and believe that you need those elements in order to have meaningful partnership. Two partners who work together, imagine two people or a manager and a team need mutual empathy, need mutual respect, mutual trust, and they need to be aligned. And then finally, the covenant, not religious, is a team development process where you exchange obligations and expectations. You discuss, you merge, you sign, and you agree to review and receive feedback so that you can make those micro adjustments over time to ensure you're on the same page. All right. Very clear. Tim, anything to add to that? Absolutely. And Seth talked about the uh, connection, cohesion, coordination, and the idea that it leads to this collaboration. Well, that's because so many people in the workplace are struggling to ha uh, work with their leader, to work with their teammates. And really, we, we talk in the book about the four Ds that lead to the need for meaningful partnership. And we see this in so many organizations where employees become dissatisfied. Um, they are struggling 
you know, that, that relationship with their boss or their peers, that is the most important thing in the organization. And they're having a bad relationship with their boss or a bad relationship with their peers, and they become dissatisfied. And this is common today, you know, depending on the, the study, uh, dissatisfaction occurs in somewhere from 30 to 60% of employees out there. And once they're dissatisfied for a long time, they become disengaged. Disengagement leads to that emotional state of despair. And of course, if they're in despair for too long, they depart. Um, so that's really what we're trying to avoid by creating this sense of meaningful partnership. And the foundation of meaningful partnership is, as Seth said, empathy, respect, trust, and alignment. And that's what the workplace covenant process works to develop, those underpinnings, those theoretical ideas, empathy, having that profound appreciation for the perspective of others. Respect in a work context is seeing others as a valid partner and legitimate of deserving the rights and responsibilities that we want ourselves. And trust is really the idea that people will have your back. They won't speak ill of you. They'll have high confidence in your work. And once you have that empathy, respect, and trust, you can work to be aligned. Um, and that's really when the manager and team are all on the same page, paddling in the same direction, um, really moving on the tracks together towards the same goal. And so that's really the underpinnings of what we're talking about with this workplace covenant to get you to that meaningful partnership. The workplace covenant is just a tool. It's a really good tool and it works very well, but it's a tool like many others. Let, let me build okay. on what Tim said there. I, I want to uh, go a little deeper on those four Ds. I mean, in our consulting work over the years, what we noticed a lot of the time was pain, pain in the workplace. Uh, teammates and colleagues and direct reports who looked to the manager relationship and felt that sense of dissatisfaction, sometimes disengagement, sometimes even despair and on occasion departure. They, they just were not happy and they'd go home to family and friends and complain about it. And then surprisingly, but not surprisingly, if you're a consultant and do this kind of work, you talk to bosses who were equally feeling unsupported by their team. They felt they were alone and having to row as it were by themselves without anybody else helping and felt that their team was kind of sitting back and letting them take all the punches from the organization. And uh, so it was kind of a two-way street of frustration. We actually use that term in the book, two-way street of, of frustration. So we see a lot of that. Um, I think, you know, depending on the study you look at, it's something close to 70% of all departures have to do with a bad relationship with your boss. Um, and so we really got to the root of, are people feeling supported? Because when they feel supported, they tend to feel pretty good about the situation they're in and the work they're doing. And, and support's a huge word. It's, it's really an umbrella term, but it, it has to do with recognition. It has to do with resources. It has to do with praise. It has to do with opportunities to grow, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, and really that covenant process gets at that key question. Do, do you feel supported? What will it take for you to feel supported and be successful? You know, what you guys are talking about and the research that you've done, <clears throat> it sounds like a fair amount of that was done prior to COVID because you use COVID to write the book. So I guess my question is, you've painted a picture in, in some workplaces of things are really, really bad, but I can't even imagine a workplace now 
with COVID and everything else on top of it, that's going to be an improvement on the pre-COVID workshop. Did the principles still hold water now that we've got the added issues of people that are at each other's throats with politics, with the lockdowns, with everybody just being in a bad place? Is this going to actually be more important or is this going to kind of temper the message some? Well, this is absolutely more important now than ever. People are feeling alienated and isolated uh, from their team and their leader, especially with all the lockdowns and the work from home. And you know, there are good things that come from that. Here it is, we're using uh, uh, an online system without even thinking twice about it, which pre-COVID we never would have been able to do so easily. Uh, and now we, we use them like they're second nature, but that alienation and isolation is occurring all over. And really this idea of developing meaningful partnership during this, I don't know whether we want to call it the uh, late pandemic, it's not yet post-pandemic, but <laughs> this time period, having a tool to help create meaningful partnership in an online environment is, is great. And we have before 2019, never tested it in an online environment. But of course, since lockdown, we've done this online multiple times and it works, in fact, works really well in an online environment to get people reconnected and really try to stem off that disengagement that so many people are having, that alienation and isolation. Seth, anything to add? Yeah, I just want to add the word anxious and anxiety. And in fact, one of the CEOs that we interviewed, and, and we've got some great video footage that'll soon be up on LinkedIn uh, of this particular CEO of a billion, that's with a B, billion dollar company, talked about how one of the roles of leaders is to reduce anxiety in the organization, and then went on in his interview to talk about how the Workplace Covenant helps with that. And so, yeah, I, I think, you know, there was certainly pain before COVID. Now there's new dimensions that were caused by COVID, as Tim said, isolation and, and um, anxiety and, and uh, alienation. Thank you. That was the word. Thank you. Alienation. Um, but this does offer, uh, in some respects, a, uh, you know, call it a vaccine, if you want to use that metaphor, um, because it allows people to have a direct conversation about do they feel supported? How would what would it take for them to feel supported, and can they achieve? And and our anecdotal finding, as well as the research that Tim has led, really shows that when people feel supported in lots of ways and they're able to achieve, they stay. They feel happy. They feel someone has their back, and and they're willing to be fully engaged and give 110 percent. But if they don't feel that, then they go through those four D's that we talked about. You know, the dissatisfaction right. over time leads to disengagement, then despair. And, and, and from the team's perspective, uh, really trying to get rid of that alienation and isolation, the workplace covenant process does this in a psychologically safe way mm -hmm. because it's really hard to give upward feedback. People don't like it's hard. To, it's hard enough to give downward feedback when you're the boss and you're expected. It's part of your job and you're expected to do it. This provides a safe way to do that for a boss, but it also provides a safe way for the team to work together to give feedback up the chain too. So not only can it help reduce this anxiety and alienation and isolation, but it does so in a psychologically safe way. And the research on psychological safety is showing how important it is, especially for teams, to be supported and be successful. And this is not a trust fall. It's, yeah. it, we, we use the term, you know, being supported so you can be successful. 
but it's really a behavioral uh, contract. It's a behavioral right. set of right. obligations that can help teams and leaders improve and work together, get aligned and get their job done. Uh, that's that's the goal. So, so, get the job done. so let me jump in, Mac. Imagine if a team doesn't have a workplace covenant. They don't have this behavioral pact or contract. So, so how does the manager get feedback? Um, you might have a brave soul, but that takes a brave person to do that who feels comfortable giving upward feedback. You might have employee complaints to HR, in which case things are getting serious. You might have an exodus of people leaving the team, in which case you really have a disaster. So in most organizations without this, it takes something really big and typically really negative to happen for managers to understand that they're off track. But if you have this pact, if you have this agreement that they've already had major input on and they've signed and they've agreed in, to the process, which means personally reviewing and reflecting from time to time and, and formally getting feedback from their team every two months, again, in a very psychologically safe and, and non-emotional way, then the manager can make those micro adjustments. He or she can say, ah, okay, I signed up for 10 behaviors and the team is telling me I'm doing pretty good on eight, but there's two where I need to improve. Let me make some notes. Let me ask for some examples. Okay, got it. Over the next three months, I'll work on those two behaviors. And then similarly, the manager says to the team, hey, guys, you're doing great on seven of the of the 10 items, but here's three where I need you to do a little more or a little less. And so it's it's those micro adjustments. It's that routinization, if I can make a verb up, routinization of feedback that is really in many ways one of the strengths of this process. I, I use the analogy of an airplane flying at you know, 30,000 feet or something going across the coast you know, from East Coast to West Coast. And, and at any given time, it's, it's adjusting in height, it's adjusting in speed, it's doing things to make sure it gets to the right runway. Uh, there's constant little changes, even though the plane is flying forward. And I think a relationship between a manager and a team is like that. There have to be those micro adjustments in order to help people uh, succeed. Well, I'll tell you, everything you've said in looking in the book at the model, I mean, it looks like it's bulletproof. I guess the question I have is if somebody was to read the book or to hear you guys speak and to say, wow, I really want to implement this, this uh, meaningful partnership and this covenant, how does that happen? Especially if the people in the department are going to look at it and say, oh boy, what is this? Another new thing we got going. How would somebody, so there's going to be probably in some cases an open audience say, yeah, we really want to do this better. But in my experience, you know, most employees are like, oh, this is one of your new uh, Jedi mind tricks. You know, how does somebody be able to implement this to a skeptical workforce? Well, I'm going to let Seth take this one <laughs> because, um, no, we, I, we did write about this yeah. in the book because it, it there are so many of these leadership buzzwords that come out and the leadership buzzwords, uh, you know, empowerment was 20 some years ago. And, um, and there's so many of these buzzwords and they're all the flavor of the month. And this is not, I, I would strongly argue it's not the flavor of the month. It's very practical. It's very hands-on. So Seth, I'm going to let you take it from here sure. because, uh, you know, that really, um, you, you answer this very well. So, well, so, in fact, in the book, we deal with this early on, and I think it's in the introduction where we acknowledge, you know, seven habits and crucial conversations and total quality management and, and all the other, you know, if you want to pejoratively call them fads that, that have come before. And, and we acknowledge it's all good work. that They've all opened our eyes in, in important ways. Um, this is different because there's an empirical record. This is different because I think it gets at human nature and the desire to, uh, you know, have control over self. 
I think it's also different that it it's not uh, servant leadership, which as much as I admire that requires a selfless person, a selfless leader to say, I sacrifice myself for the team and will do anything for them. And I don't care if I get anything back, which to me is not really human nature. This is very much uh, enlightened self-interest working for uh, the other party's benefit, knowing that the other party will help you. So imagine a manager and a team and they enter into this behavioral pact and the team is highly motivated to adhere to what they've signed and what they've committed to. A, I think just out of professional ethics and because when you sign something, you, you commit to it. But secondly, on some level, overtly or covertly, they know the manager is going to be working for them and adhering to his or her covenant. And the more the team adheres to its covenant, the more leverage psychologically they have on their manager to adhere to his or her covenant and similarly vice versa. So there's a lot of psychological principles that that give this a bit more punch, I think, than than a lot of the, uh, you know, the things from the past. Um, you you started this off by kind of, you know, flavor of the month. And, and I think there is a certain cynicism, particularly in big organizations, to say, been there, done that, which is about one of the most offensive statements uh, for me. It's, it's <laughs> the proverbial nail on the chalkboard <clears throat> because it just minimizes anything that's that's important. Uh, oh, you know, a, hey, electric cars, been there, done that. You know, yeah, we tried that in the 70s. That's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, which would be missing something huge today, wouldn't it? Um, so um, we don't like that phrase. It, it does connote a certain level of cynicism. And so it, like anything, it's going to take a little bit of leadership. It will take a manager to say, no, we're going to give this a try or it will take HR. Um, you know, someone's got to go first. And whether they're the formal leader or the informal leader, someone has to go first and say, no, we're going to do this. What we do find is that the people who say been there, done that, once they get into the conversation, they may have been skeptical. But once they're in the conversation and all of a sudden it's right in front of them, what are they going to commit to and what are they going to get back from their boss? All of a sudden they wake up. And, and that's kind of neat to see. You can really see it in the body length. Literally, the eyes get wider. The tight shoulders come down. The, the posture moves, you know, leans forward out of interest. And, and all of a sudden they are engaged in a way they didn't think they would be. And we've seen that time and time again. Oh, yeah. We, we're working with a, a um, actually it's a, a college right now, a, de a department in a college right now. And we just did their first covenant review. And the difference in, as Seth said, body language um, and uh, reactions and how much they're willing to talk and their ratings of how things are going. It's only the first review and things are changing, changing for the positive. And this was a, a, a toxic work environment. Oh, yeah. And I will say, Seth said, somebody needs to go first. And I, I would argue it's the leader who needs to go first because, you know, if you look in the dictionary, one definition of to lead is to go first. So it's really the leader who needs to go first. That's the job of the leader. That makes sense. All right. So I have one more question and then I want to figure out how you guys can reach out to my audience and help us. How would this work in a, and let's say you wanted to do this as a department, but you're in a place where you have a, a lot of turnover. I'm thinking maybe somebody that is a shift leader and let's say a fast food restaurant where you probably have a high level of turnover. Is it possible, even in that microcosm, to be able to make this work, even if you're dealing with high turnover? Absolutely. Uh, the, the covenant of the leader really should 
be similar regardless of the the turnover in the department. It's probably going to change, but not a lot. So in in my opinion, and Seth, I'd like to hear from you after I'm done talking too, um, you would start with a covenant with the existing team and the leader. And then in the reviews, that covenant would slowly get changed to match the new team over time. One of, to me, one of the most important thing, and again, giving credit to Seth for developing this idea, but to me, one of the most important things is the ongoing continuous improvement nature of this. So many of these buzzword OD organization development interventions, uh, they uh, are one-shot deals. And I, I admit I've done that. I worked with a local nonprofit here about five years ago, and they said, how do we keep this going? And I, I wished I could have said, hire me to come back every three months, um, because that's the key. Um, but unless you keep it going, the energy really excited after, you know, day two, week two, but after that, everything slowly wanes. Well, the idea of the covenant is this ongoing continuous improvement review process that revisits the covenant, both formally and informally on a regular basis to improve tweak and redevelop the leader's obligations and the team's obligations really keeps them focused keeps them aligned keep them keeps them moving forward so as the team changes you know the covenant may change a little bit and maybe there eventually will come a time where the covenant has to be rebuilt altogether but it is ongoing and continuously improving yeah, I would agree with all that. Um, you know, d ditto. I, I think in the fast food situation, that context, the manager's covenant can be established and may change a little, but, you know, 90 plus percent, it's going to remain the same, even as the employees change. I would also argue similarly, I think the employee covenant to the manager will be 90 percent the same. Um, but different people may roll in and off, you know, on and off the team. I would say showing the covenant to a new hire or a prospective new hire and say, look, if you join our team, here's the list of eight behaviors you're signing up for relative to the relationship with our manager. Um, I think that's an informative thing that states right up front that there's a certain culture here and this is the culture we abide by. I think that would be a useful component to add to the hiring process. Um, you know, as it pertains to teams that have had covenants in place over time, I think they can adjust how often they review it. And in, in a positive way, the reviews can get more boring over time. And that's in a healthy team. We start the book off actually with the story of a really high functioning manager, just a guy who was hitting it out of the park every day. And he still wanted to go through this process with his team because he wanted to get even better. And his reviews became so efficient, um, and I'll call them boring in a good way because he got good feedback, he wrote it down, he asked questions, he gave them feedback, and the whole thing took 20 minutes. And, and it's usually our experience that covenant reviews take an hour, hour and a half, but he had got it down to such a fine science. Um, and so in some ways, that's, that's the gold standard, is that you have these covenants and you give each other routine feedback, and it's no more emotional than, hey, pass the salt or we need more toothpaste. I mean, that's that's the ideal. You want feedback in the workplace to be a non-emotional event. And that's not the way it is in most places, right? When your boss gives you feedback, you're scared. <laughs> um, you, you know, even if you don't know if it's good or bad feedback, you know, you're just told report to his or her office and you're going to get feedback. So um, <laughs> the notion that feedback could be as unemotional as pass the salt or we need more toothpaste, honey is is kind of a revolutionary idea but that's where this covenant can go because 
in in sports, you know, I'll use the sports analogy. When you get feedback, if you're a hockey player and you're told by your coach, hey, use your hips when you do a slap shot, the, the player is not emotional about that feedback. You know, the player just says, oh, okay, that'll make my shot better and that'll help us win. You know, that's the way in which we want to absorb feedback. You knew Seth had to work in a hockey analogy <laughs> here, by the well, way. Uh, it's funny because my my comment as we were going to wind down is like most of the guys I hang out with, you know, the big questions we wrestle with is, you know, who would win in a fight, Chuck Norris or Steven Seagal? You guys get together and talk about stuff that is really meaningful and addresses a real world problem. So you're all right dropping in a hockey reference. That's totally fine with me. <laughs> it was either going to be that or Star Trek. Tim do Tim do well. Let's stick to the hockey. Okay. How about that? Right. Yeah, I draw the line some places. <laughs> hey guys, I have to say this is this is fascinating stuff. And uh, so what I'd like to do is to have you let us know. If I'm listening to this today and I say, man, number one, I got to get a hold of that book. Number one, where do we get the book? And then secondly, how do we reach out? Because we have a professor that consults and a consultant that professes. Sort of got the best of all worlds here. So the last question I have is, how do we find you and how do we find the book? So the book is easy. You can get it. Our, our publishers, Taylor and Francis, Corwin Press, um, Pro, uh, Productivity Press, they're, they're, they're all, you know, one together, Rutledge. Um, so any of their websites, you can also get on an Amazon, Barnes and Noble, basically any online bookstore. And for me, uh, actually, because I'm a college professor, I'm easy to find online. Um, but I do have a website. My, my website is Team Building Process Desk. Dot com. And um, I also am active on LinkedIn. I know Seth is too. And uh, on LinkedIn, it's under Tim-Franz-Consulting. And uh, my LinkedIn is really active, constantly putting articles out there, new content from uh, my co-authors and I, or, or uh, sharing other relevant content from a teamwork or team development or leadership development. Seth? Um, yes, I will echo the Amazon.com uh, way to get the book. And um, I am reachable at Dr. Seth R. Silver at gmail.com. Dr. Seth R. Don't forget the R's in my middle initial, Robert. And uh, I do have a website. It's silverconsultinginc.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn. And that's uh, Seth R. Silver. Excellent. Well, listen, guys, thank you so much for taking time to share the research you've done, the ideas, and uh, we really appreciate the hard work you've done just leading up to this book. So thank you. If you've been listening to this today, please reach out to these guys. This is a solid idea, and I know it'll benefit you. Guys, thanks so much for taking the time to be with me this morning. Thanks, thanks Mac. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well. <laughs>